you're listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast. This is Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy. This Real Talk SLP podcast is for speech pathologists who need strategies, practical strategies and intervention ideas that is going to help them serve their students well. So I always love to talk about topics that are going to be practical for your caseload. And I love to bring on guests who are going to give you some practical information that isn't going to take a ton of time to implement and is going to be engaging for your students and quite possibly engaging for you. And if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I love providing engaging strategies, materials, and therapy ideas because when our students are engaged, that means they're really processing and, and what's happening and they're enjoying the therapy process. As much as we want our kids to hit that 80, 90, 100% accuracy, we want them to also enjoy the process of learning, right? And so that is why I know when I get my kids engaged on a, with some materials or a topic, I know I've hit gold because when they are engaged, I can get so much out of them and I enjoy the process as well. Today, I'm going to have Deborah Brooks on the show to talk about how to use jokes in your therapy session. And we had a really fun conversation. You're going to hear, when we recorded this episode, Deborah was was eight months pregnant. So now that this is airing in May... Um, she probably has her little baby now. So if you go and head over and follow her on Instagram at Deborah Brooks SLP, you're probably going to see a lot of baby pictures instead of prego mama pictures. But you can scroll down on her um, Instagram. She was a very, very cute prego mama. And um, this topic of jokes, what I think you're going to really like about this episode is not only is it practical for our students and she and Deborah's going to break down all the ways that you can use jokes in therapy but it also is easy to prep and easy to find jokes that you can use and that is music to your ears right because it's the end of May many of you are probably either if you're listening and you're on summer break I I think you need an extra blessing today because um, once I hit summer break, I usually am pretty zoned out from from all things speech pathology. But um, yes, if you're listening in on summer break, you definitely want to take a few notes for for how you could use jokes next year when you start the new school year. If you are working on the East Coast and you're still in school and you're like, Felice, I still have three or four more weeks. I'm burnt out. I don't know what to do to keep my sessions alive you're going to need this session. This session will help you, I promise. And um, it will give you some good material for how you can plan therapy for the next few weeks and keep your kids engaged and motivated. So let's head on over to that interview with Deb. And we will be talking about uh, jokes and a lot and a few other things come into play. It's a really fun interview. I think you're going to like it. All right, let's head on over. 
All right. Welcome, Deb, to the Real Talk SLP podcast. I'm excited to have you come on the show today. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, if those of you who don't know Deborah, she's on Instagram at Deborah Brooks SLP. I got that right. Did I? Yep, that's correct. Okay, good. Okay, my memory's <laughs> serving me well. And um, she talks all about, you know, she does videos on her Instagram, but she also talks about and shows pics of her little baby bump because she is having a baby soon. So how's yes. that going? It's going well. Um, I've been a very lucky pregnant person. I haven't gotten sick or anything like that. Um, I just get sleepy and I have some heartburn. But other than that, it's been a very smooth ride so far. Yeah, you're lucky that you didn't get any uh, morning sickness. Yeah, not at all. Because <laughs> working with kids and having morning sickness is mm-hmm. the worst. I think my second pregnancy, um, a teacher even knew I was pregnant because like, I started bringing ginger ale and all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> and, and so once I announced it, she's like, I already knew like weeks ago. I mean, there's a lot I couldn't imagine going to work physically while pregnant because, like, one, you just, like, fart all the time. And then, like, (laughs) I couldn't even imagine being in school. People would be like, I don't want the stinky stinky speech teacher. Um, And then also just, like, bending down is tough and and frequency of going to the restroom. So... I'll, you know, say whatever you want about being pregnant during a pandemic, but it has worked out for me. I would say yes. Like being pregnant (laughs) and having to get down on the floor was very, very hard. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, I think being pregnant right now for a lot of um, teachers and educators and speech pathologists is probably serve them well in a lot of ways. And I, we were talking before we hit record that you have, um, well, she has a podcast that she does with Maria. I don't remember her last name. Katones. Greek. Yes. And they um, do an SLP's wine and cheese podcast. They talk about speech therapy topics and eat wine and cheese while they do Mm -hmm. it, which sounds very, very fun. But you Mm -hmm. also have a baby podcast. So you want to talk a little bit about that before we jump into our topic today? Yeah, sure. So it's called The Unexpected. It's a podcast about parenthood and pregnancy. And I started it when I was five weeks pregnant, um, mostly because I kept my pregnancy secret for so long, but did still want to talk about it. So I um, would meet with new seasoned and expectant moms and do interviews with them and, and get some insight as to what I should expect while I was expecting because it was unexpected to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I have my husband on a lot too. So you get to see a male perspective from time to time. Very cool. I'm going to have to check it out. I'm not planning on having any more um, children, <laughs> but um, it's always fun to listen to other people's journeys during pregnancy and hearing their stories because it is it does feel like a journey. So um, <laughs> yes, yes, it sure You does. never know what to expect. And you're kind of like, what is happening to my body? right now. Um, But yeah, so for those that don't know you in the speech world yet, why don't you introduce yourself and share a little bit about, you know, your current setting and and some of your expertise that you have in the field of speech pathology? 
Okay, so um, yeah, my name is Deborah Brooks. I'm a speech pathologist. I have been for eight years. I attended St. John's University for undergrad and graduate school, and I currently work there as an adjunct professor, also teaching asynchronously online this semester. Um, I'm really good at parallel parking. That's my number one skill. Um, if I were to be an expert at anything, I've never met anyone better than me. Just saying, if you, if you, Sometimes I fantasize about like somebody putting out a bunch of cones on a street and then like me racing somebody else to see who can parallel park the most cars. That's like my fantasy. So I'm really good at that. But in terms of speech, um, I think like uh, earlier in my career, I was kind of like Ariel from Little Mermaid. Like I wanted more. I wanted to do everything. I wanted like to be... You know, I wanted to be a medical SLP. I wanted to be a pediatric SLP. I wanted to be a private practice. I wanted to be a creator. Um, and now I'm just finding that I do enjoy primarily, I love AAC and speech sound disorders. So, and that's primarily what my caseload is currently. So I'm, um, I have half a caseload in a um, special needs school, which still is virtual. And then my other half of my caseload is a private practice where it's mostly children with speech sound disorders. So I do that mostly. Um, many people know me from Instagram, and I started that Instagram maybe in 2014 or 15. And I just, uh, I think my first introduction to speech pathology on social media was Facebook. And people there were so grumpy and complained all the time. So, and I just didn't, I didn't relate so much. And then I thought like, oh, I have all these like fun ideas. Um, I think I'm going to start an Instagram. And I just started taking videos of just my face during speech therapy sessions and um, the materials that I, I made, which I just colored with Sharpies. And uh, it took off and people liked my videos and they would ask if they could have copies of my coloring pages with at that point were just, like I said, drawn with Sharpies. So I would just draw things and scan them into the computer and sell them on the internet. And here I am now. <laughs> well, yes, I will. Um, I don't know. I, you would probably beat me at a parallel parking uh, competition, <laughs> but in high school, I did drive a big fat station wagon, like one of those paneled station wagons. And so oh, I was a very oh. good driver. I still live a very good driver, um, but I don't have to parallel <laughs> park that much because I don't, I live right. in the city, but, but I can do it. So I can parallel park good. a big giant station wagon. Um, nice. And it doesn't even have like those fancy cheat cameras because not back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to drive, it was like the kind that has eight seats in the back. Yeah. Totally. Right. Old. Yeah. My parents gave me that car. <laughs> my, yeah. Well, that's terrifying though. Cause like you're, you could have just fit a whole bunch of kids in there. All your friends. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it, we had lap yeah. belts and everything, but yeah, if, if I ever got in a car accident in the very back, the two people would have hit each other in the head and God knows what else. Um, yeah. Yeah, would have taken so. out a whole graduating class. <laughs> but it was <laughs> a fun, it was a fun, I made it fun because yes, it was not very cute. 
I was very well known as, you know, you driving into the parking lot. It's like, what is that? Um, Cause it was brown and white. And, uh, but you know, what? my parents didn't want it to have a car payment. And so it makes sense. I didn't need a fancy mm-hmm. car, you know, but I don't think I could drive yeah. it in a big city yeah. like San Francisco <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. So no, with the hills and everything. Yeah. Thing so, too, well, yes. Imagine. So yeah. And I know that's all that stuck out. All the stuff that you said about speech pathology, I was like, let's talk about parallel parking. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's very cool. Um, I, I kind of have a mix. So do you have your own private practice and then you also work for a school setting that you do your AAC stuff or is it all contracted? Um, so I, no, I work for somebody else's private practice. Um, I do have some clients that come to me privately, uh, but I wouldn't say I have enough to call it a private practice, but yeah, so mostly I'm with, um, an agency that contracts through a school and that's my special needs population. And then I work for downtown kids therapy group from based in Tribeca, um, which if you don't know, that's triangle below canal. That's what Tribeca means. Um, And that's in Manhattan. I live in Brooklyn. So uh, yeah, I work for both of them and I work for another company, uh, New York speech language and learning too. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm an expert at doing too much. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, (laughs) Well, today we're going to be talking about how to use jokes in therapy. Um, And I think this is a really cool concept and topic because for some of our students that are hard to engage, I think using jokes could totally spark some engagement that wasn't there and get the kids motivated to participate. So every time we talk about a topic, I always ask my guests to share a song or a song lyric that you would sing that is related to the topic. So I want to know what song or song lyric do you sing whenever you need a laugh or you're feeling grumpy or when you're just, you know, or other people are being grumpy. Um, yeah, I like that opening lyric to Avril Lavigne's Complicated. I'm, anytime somebody is grumpy around me, I'm just like, chill out, what's she yelling for? And sometimes people laugh and sometimes people are like, oh, I'm mad still. <laughs> but then they laugh after. Uh, but yeah, just chill out. What are you yelling about? Totally. And um, yeah, whenever I think of a bad day, I always think of that song, uh, it's all, it's on, I think it was on American Idol. So you had a bad day, take one down, that song, you know, yeah. and it just reminds us that we all have bad days and we just got to get over it, I think. Um, yeah, I think there's days. a commercial that used that in a like montage of just like terrible things happening. <laughs> and I, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> I have not seen that commercial. That sounds like a good one. Um, yeah, so I want to know, like... You know, I think jokes can bring an element of comic relief and it can even bond your bond you with your students and build relationships. So I'm curious, how are you incorporating jokes into your therapy sessions? Um, Well, yeah, just like you first mentioned. So um, laughter and jokes is a bonding tool. So um, it's a means of relating and communicating, even with those who are struggling to do that more. typically than others. So first off, I mean, 
you can tell jokes or you can joke around, um, but it's just kind of um, a way to bring somebody in and establish some rapport and comfort um, between yourself and a a client. I, through all through undergrad and grad school, I worked as a waitress in a comedy club in Times Square called Caroline's on Broadway. So the entire time I learned about speech pathology, I was watching these people on stage, comedians, um, and and this is a headliner club, so these were all famous comedians. These people were just excellent speakers, and I was like, this is essentially what I guess like the finished product would be of a A A-plus speech therapy student. I mean, they speak... um, concisely and they speak fluently and um, they're able to utilize language to elicit an involuntary response in a listener, um, well, speech and language because the paralinguistic features of language and uh, doing this strictly with their speech and language skills. There's no like CGI or music mm-hmm. or special effects in stand-up comedy. It's just a human being with a microphone and um People get out of their chairs and scream and cheer for more, and it's just a person. So I think that showed me that uh, it didn't matter how many toys I had or how many activities I had planned, that really humans enjoy humans, and utilizing your speech and language and rhetoric effectively uh, can be some of the best speech therapy out there. Totally. That sounds so cool that you worked in a comedy club, which it was probably lots of good stories. Anyone famous that you saw when you were working there? Oh, everyone. I mean, so my first summer was um, Chelsea Handler, Tracy Morgan, Nick Swardson, um, Deal Hughley, uh, Louis C.K., uh, Bill Burr, every. I didn't know. Yeah, I've seen everybody. Um, So cool. Yeah. Um, And then also I worked there since from 2007 to 2017. So I watched a lot of people who started off as um, open micers or started off as feature acts become quite famous. So now um, some of my friends are on Saturday Night Live and and they have other writing jobs, like for The Marvelous Miss Maisel, or I have friends that have a, a mom show on Hulu. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, my husband's been on TV a bunch of times. I, I married a comedian. Very cool. Yeah, and I would agree that comedy, for whatever reason, I'm very much drawn to it, too, is just because I love the idea that someone could come and take some content that they've seen out in the world and create something funny out of it or have an analogy. There's lots of analogies and similes that comedians are using. And there's, you know, the wit of it all is just very intriguing and it makes you feel better when it connects with your life and you can laugh at it. So, right. Cause that's, you're relating then at that point. So you're relating and communicating and that's essentially what we want to occur with our clients, especially those that have like social communication disorders. And maybe you're relating situationally, or maybe you're just relating emotionally, depending upon um, how you're able to approach that individual in particular. Totally. I just remembered too, when I was in the middle school setting that I never really was pulling out a joke book, 
but um, mm-hmm. I definitely had to tap into my sarcasm because yeah. they didn't want to be around me or they were like, you're not cool enough. So I had to tap into that wit and I got pretty good at being sarcastic. Yeah. And that was time. middle school, you said? Yeah. When I was in middle school, I just remember, yeah. I just remember like going back to elementary school and going, this is different. I'm I just, I'm just positive all the time and they want hugs. Yeah. And then you go to middle school and you can't, yeah. you have to almost put up a wall for yourself too, because over half your caseload, I don't think intentionally doesn't like you, but they just are, they're not they're just motiva- trying to be cool. Yeah. They're trying to be cool or they don't, <laughs> they haven't gained that trust with you yet that you're going to treat yeah. them like an adult. Cause they kind of are mm-hmm. in that place where they're almost an adult. So they're kind of just complaining begrudgingly coming and so I just remember I had to use sarcasm as a coping mechanism as well oh absolutely (laughs) yeah I mean uh, middle school is the only setting I haven't worked in because I just think humans that age are mean I don't I'm just like I'm not prepared you might want to avoid middle school for a while at least when you're pregnant Uh, I just remember one girl said wow Miss Clark your legs are getting real yeah, thick I, and yeah. all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I was pregnant and I had to like lay in. I was like, listen. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I uh, I worked in high school for oh, three years and I feel like I used humor a lot and sarcasm, but like also seriousness. And I felt like like being borderline mean to them was their favorite. Like they would be, they would always be like, Miss Brooks, let me tell you about my boyfriend. I'm like a hundred percent. No, I don't care about your boyfriend. I, de- I definitely don't want to hear about that. And they would always make fun of me and they would always be like, who am I? I don't care. And that's me. Like they're just making fun of me because that's all I said to them. All. Um, yeah. So yeah. they like that whole banter. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely kid, older kids like that. So if you're a witty person, you definitely can fit in with high school age oh absolutely and, and middle school and you don't have to plan anything in terms of like your motivational task because conversations with you is um like motivation enough for them to transition between activities or or like have some time to chat with you towards the end so when I was working with the older populations I never really had to come up with anything entertaining to do because I was the entertainment but um, there are several goals in terms of speech therapy and all the proper paperwork that um, are easily targeted using jokes and humor. Well, yeah. So how would you incorporate jokes with your younger kids? Do you use, you know, joke books and pick out jokes to use like one, you know, a joke of the, of the session, or do you use it as a tool to elicit talking about vocabulary and comprehension and, you know, or speech fluency skills? Like how, how do you approach, do you approach it in a structured way or is it more of like a, something that just organically comes up? 
Um, probably a combination of both. So, um, first off, I'd like to say, so like the comprehension of humor, it requires so many cognitive aspects, such as recognition of incongruity in a situation, identification of similar sound sequences, um, homophones or hom, like, so for a pun, you'll need to know, like these words sound the same, but they mean different things and many things like that. So, um, you can utilize and comprehend rhetorical devices or figurative language, metaphor, simile, um, onomatopoeia, or um, hyperbole. Most jokes are hyperbole. So, so in just saying that, there's lots to be achieved there. Um, once kids hit fourth grade and older, that's when I would pull out a joke book and allow them to choose from that. And I and I often had a karaoke machine in my speech therapy room. So one, kids love to speak on a microphone, but two, they never know what to say. So they just like put their mouth on it and like make noise. So giving them a joke book and a microphone <laughs> um, kind of just like fills that void. Um, and then they can choose what jokes that they would like to practice. And then at that point, working on just the decoding and the fluency is a, is a great speech strategy because when you get to that age, you often get the kids who are speaking and they're like, and then, and then this, and then, then, and then I went there, but then that was like this. And they're just like kind of all over the place and they're, they're trying to organize their thoughts and it's difficult. So, um, a joke has a great format. Usually there's a setup, a premise, a punch. Um, and this is just like a more concise means of using language. But if we went all the way to the younger children, so, um, I guess the most basic form of a joke is a knock-knock joke. Doing this, we have cause and effect, knock, knock, who's there? Um, and then also um, some social skills where we can say hello or if there's or we know the, what's customary of to occur if, if someone's knocking on the door. Um, and you can incorporate. I have some visuals of these types of jokes. And so it'd be like knock, knock, who's there? I don't, boo, boo, who? Why are you crying? So so at first we would know like. We'd have to comprehend that, oh, somebody is seeming to be named Boo, or perhaps it's a ghost. And then we also have to comprehend that once I add who, which is the standard line in this joke, I now sound like I'm crying. And then um, we're both, we both get it. So now we're laughing and communicating together because we're in on the joke, which is another form of bonding. Totally. And so when you're introducing the the joke like let's say for example the knock knock joke are you first just breaking down like are you teaching some of the vocabulary or are you just kind of like reading the vocabulary or the joke and seeing what reaction you get from the child and then scaffolding from there if they are struggling with understanding it yes so um I basically just like go in hot I just go with a knock knock and then I'm like oh there's a door so if I someone said knock knock what should I do and then you can say who's there and then maybe I would have um a drawing or a visual because most of my speech therapy is just paper and sharpies um and I would just draw it there on the spot uh most kids in my experience have some sort of familiarity with the concept of a knock-knock joke. Um, in fact, they always try to share their own, which is, always makes zero sense. And those are my favorite because they're like, I got the format. I want to make people laugh too. And they, they'll just be like, it's a cow. <laughs> and you're like, okay, why? But um, 
but that's fun too. And, um, and we scaffold from there. So now if somebody was completely unfamiliar with jokes, um, I would utilize repeated exposure just to show them the format and then kind of increase that joke and complexity from there. Totally. And I like how, you know, jokes have a complexity of language and, and that like all those things that you were talking about with like similes and hyperboles and all that kind of stuff. I could see this being a really engaging lesson for upper elementary and middle school students to target those vocabulary words and and not in a drill format. It'd be very contextualized, but it would also be in a naturalistic type of activity. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, especially when you get to high school age. So like I mentioned, the three aspects of a joke is a setup, a premise, and a punch. So a setup, you're establishing a situation. Um, And the premise, which most novice people who are writing jokes, they kind of mistake the premise for the joke. They're just like, you know, it's a funny situation is blank. But that's just strictly a funny situation. You need some sort of line, a punchline that initiates that laughter. So it's kind of like you have storyline A, storyline B, and then storyline C, which is going to connect both A and B, but has to have some element of misdirection. So um, once you reach high school age, you can start working on those types of strategies. So I used to use a joke as practice with them. Um, I'm a teacher and they required that I attended a seminar for bullying and now I think I'm getting pretty good at it. Oh, okay. So my, (laughs) so that was my example. So like my setup is that I'm a teacher. The premise is that I was attending a bullying seminar. Your mind is supposed to think I am learning to prevent bullying. And then my punchline is that I've become an effective bully. Totally. Well, did you come up with that on the top of your head? off the top of your head? No, that was my, that was my, well, I mean, I wrote it a while ago, but that was my, okay. I'm like, wow, you're really good. (laughs) (laughs) That was my example for most of the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's, it's a very, uh, similar joke for there's a, I can't remember if my husband was in here, I could ask him, but, um, he's, there's a, a lot of jokes like that. Like I don't have a girlfriend, but I do have somebody who would be angry if they heard me say that. There's a comedian that has a joke like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so do you ever write, do you ever create jokes with your students? Uh, I did with the older ones. It's very, it's very hard to be funny. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> yes, I would agree. Yeah. That's why not everyone has a job as a comedian. Absolutely. Yes. And then <laughs> while you work in a comedy club, you also see like there's these things I mean, if you work in restaurants, you've seen like bartending school, which is kind of like a big, huge scam. There's like in comedy clubs, there's comedy school, which there are people who have come out semi-successful, but like none of the biggest people that you see in stand-up comedy came out of these comedy classes. But so what they have is graduation shows and they're like the most embarrassing oh. things that anyone has to sit there. It makes, and anybody who goes probably will never go to another comedy show again because <laughs> it's long and it's just like really bad. So, so comedy is mm. tough. You should just leave it to the professionals. Um, I did it for a little bit as I, I did some stand up when I was my early twenties, but then once I started getting serious with my, husband, it just felt really weird to kind of like make a 
hobby out of something that was like one he was really great at and I was not (laughs) and uh it was his livelihood and it was just like my hobby like I said so it's in and everyone around me just started getting like really good and famous and stuff and I just knew it wasn't for me it was it's for people who are truly dedicating their life to it well yeah it's hard Yes. I mean, yeah, sure. I can appreciate the craft because um, I'm not that funny. I could be a little <laughs> witty, but that's about it. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. So I like, but yeah, so I could see trying to write jokes with your students being a really, really tricky, especially your kids who have language impairments or social pragmatic disorders yeah. who struggle with perspective taking because you do also have to have perspective taking. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you could even work, I don't even know if this would be even appropriate, but like, you know, some jokes are not appropriate, like when to use them and when not to use them. Right. Well, in high school, I I went over that a bunch. So like being mean is not funny. You're supposed to punch up and not down. So like if you're to make fun of a group, you're supposed to make fun of a group that's kind of like socially or economically superior to the majority like you can make fun of billionaires but you shouldn't make fun of poor people that's what like punching up is essentially um so I guess we talked more about like theories of humor um and then identifying like aspects of like I would have like Dave Chappelle's um SNL comedy um monologue and we would like dissect parts of it and find out like where's the setup where's the premise where's the punch like what kind of techniques did he use at the high school age um and a lot of what Dave Chappelle has to say is quite inspiring so it was great for those students too but um yeah in terms of writing you'd also have to be highly motivated to write jokes because like it's not that fun if you're not into it it's fun it's more fun for a little kid to write like a knock knock joke but what's more fun for everyone is to teach them jokes so, so if we went back to younger kids, so we have the youngest where we would start off with like a knock-knock joke. Yes. So goals that I like to work on in terms of joke telling, we can do speech sound production or grammar and syntax. Those are my two favorites because at this point, so like when you're working on speech sound production, you go through like the traditional method of isolation, syllables, words phrases, sentences, conversation. And then you get to a point in your speech therapy where the kid's just like kind of nailing all these exercises, but then you hear them out in the hallway or their report from their parent that like their tongue's just all over the place when they're in um, social situations. So I like to use jokes that have their target speech sounds in the punchline. And then I only laugh if that's produced correctly. So it essentially like mimics that conversational speech, which you don't always get to target as well within the structured therapy session due to like the child's such so aware. They're so aware that like you're going to be watching or monitoring them for the sound that they're not, that they are over trying. So if you give them a joke, they're excited to tell it and they bring it out with them into the world. And then they tend to use that as a better carryover. So some jokes that I like to use, that have S, which is common. So I would say, why was the broom late for school? And uh, he overswept. <laughs> so we have S in the initial position. What do you call a fake noodle? And that's uh, impasta. 
So I'm like, I, I'm horrible at these things. So you just have to tell me the answers. Pasta. <laughs> um, okay, I like, I get it. That one, yeah. So then, also, then you can work on the language component. Like, what is an imposter? Why is it an impasta? Uh-huh. Now we have similar sound sequences, so we are adding in like phonemic awareness. Um, what do you call an alligator in a vest? An investigator. So we have another S medium. <laughs> oh. And then, um, yeah. So and so on. So teaching them jokes that have their target sound in the punchline is great for generalization and carryover. Um, and then the trick is, so like laughter is a very positive reinforcement in the sense where it's going to increase the likelihood that that behavior will reoccur. So as a clinician, just work hard not to laugh unless the sound is produced correctly and then bring some semantic awareness to that punchline where you're like, oh, I didn't understand because I heard impasta, but you meant to say impasta. So showing like contrasting the two and and showing that the message was not conveyed because there was a speech sound error. Yeah, I love that idea of just not laughing. And that's mm-hmm. perfect. And then I thought I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking initially when I knew we were going to talk about jokes, I'm like, oh, jokes would be perfect for carryover for speech sound disorders. Cause then you could even say, I need you to go sign, you know, tell this joke to three other people and mm-hmm. have them initial yeah. that you told them. And you could even set it up beforehand with the same cue, like tell them don't laugh unless they say it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can send those home as instructions to your parents as well in case the child does not advocate for that part of the instructions. <laughs> but um, what I really love it for the most is sentence construction and grammar and syntax. I just think jokes are way more effective means of working on um, story recall and sequencing than like, you know, sequencing the steps of washing hands and a flower growing, which is like the two most common sequencing stories that people come up with. Because it's like, yeah, you want a kid to be able to like recall and sequence events in stories that were read aloud to them or experiences in their life. But then at the same time, it's hard to like fabricate that in a way that's meaningful um, in a structured task in the speech therapy session. So it's like come up with new stories every time or use these short, concise stories or jokes essentially to work on recalling sentences with all of the components, like all of the grammar, syntax, morphology. And then, like I mentioned, there's always the setup, the premise, and the punch. So you usually get at least um, three sentences or three phrases to um, practice rotely and then you can work on fluency at that rate too um, if you have an individual with whether they have a fluency disorder or if they are just demonstrating disfluent speech due to like their arousal level or excitement or or their organization skills right so for grammar are you having them just repeat each line and trying to get that expressive morphology in in the word order have it come out correctly right yeah yeah so like there's a joke like what um here I, I should have my joke book with me um what's the same about a teacher and a train um so it's a long sentence right what's the same about a teacher and a train um and the punchline is Oh, no, it's different. So it's what's different about a teacher and a train. And uh, 
a train says choo choo and a teacher says spit out your gum. Ah. Um, so you have, these are long sentences to remember. Kids always think that's funny. There's lots of speech sounds within there, but if you don't say the joke effectively, like I messed it up the first time, the humor is not conveyed. Um, so if, so I made more of a semantic error, whereas I said, I said, what's the same as opposed to what's different. But if you were to not recall that joke appropriately and you messed up on a morphine or a word, like uh, many children, they struggle with words that lack content. So like uh, articles, connecting Mm -hmm. verbs, things like that. So if they were to mess that up in any way, the humor would not be conveyed. So then they'd have to try again. Yeah, that makes sense. And you can even talk about like, well, who was in the joke? or what was in the joke. And for those kids that I, I have some kids where they're really only comprehending one sentence at a time. And so we're really trying to work on like who, what, where questions, like in listening to a short sentence. So like these are short and you can probably get a lot of practice in, in one session. Right. They're short stories. So that's another goal that I like to t- to work on is just answering, not my favorite goal, like kind of like cringeworthy goal, but like so-and-so will answer a variety of WH questions. Because <laughs> when I see that goal, I'm like, for what? Like, what is this? Or like, what do I do with a thesoscope? Like, uh, like what, what, like what kind of WH questions and to what level of complexity and how are you saying that this goal is achieved? Because I am 32 years old with a master's degree. There are several why questions that I am unable to answer. So I don't know how anyone has judged that that goal has ever been accomplished, but nevertheless, jokes are short stories. So it's a very controlled for environment where you can ask Um, You can do like skilled training. So you can ask, you can get 10 trials in of who was in the story because they're so short as opposed to like reading a whole half page that took the whole session. Totally. Well, and you can write the goal too. Like when read a three sentence short story and asked Mm -hmm. who, who and what questions you could actually use jokes as a teaching tool to meet that goal. And maybe you are going to progress monitor on an actual three sentence passage, but you were using jokes to engage the student to learn about like, listen for the who Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I love that idea of jokes. So my, I want to know where could SLPs find jokes or where do you go and find jokes? I know you said that sometimes you'll get like Dave Chappelle's monologues. I'm assuming you probably do that on YouTube. YouTube yeah, so you'll definitely want to screen it prior. And then um, there's so many rules for TV. So if you get somebody's TV special, it's great. Um, my favorite, I guess, to target would probably be SNL monologues and um, comedy, like uh, late night sets. Those are usually five minutes. Again, they're edited for TV. Right, right. So, Um, Yeah, my husband did it twice. I think like the email process back and forth, like they make you change name brands out of the jokes, like to that scrutiny. So you're just, you're going to get away with more cleaner material. And this is for older students as well. Like you'll definitely like, I don't know, middle school and probably mostly high school age. Um, But yeah, I would do like Conan sets or Saturday Night Live monologues. For younger kids. Those are on, mm-hmm. would those be on YouTube or would you just? Yeah. So 
you can find those all or like whatever channel is streaming. Mm-hmm. Oh. Also, Netflix has comedy specials, but then you'd really have to like scan it. Yeah, those are. <laughs> There's not a lot that uh, Brian Regan's pretty yes, clean. He is. I feel like Ellen's pretty clean. Ellen too, but she hasn't had a special in a long. Well, she did have a new one, so um, that would work too. But really, late night sets and monologues are the best because most comedy specials are half an hour or longer. Totally. And then for younger kids, where do you find all these fancy jokes that have the sounds in them? Yeah. So younger kids, I I definitely am more particular with the jokes that because I, I want it to target whatever skill that we're working on. Whenever there's a book fair at school, I buy book I buy joke books. Uh, if you guys follow Emily Diaz, she's a speech therapist on um, Instagram, and she also sells for Usborn books. And I've had like three book parties with her, and her, that company has joke books. And then yeah, just. In Brooklyn, there's this thing where people just get rid of things that they don't want and they put it on their stoop and you can just take it. And there's always, you know, you find good stuff there. So um, (laughs) that's where I've gotten some joke books, too. And uh, my last piece of advice, I wish I remembered who it was. I took a dyslexia course and um, there was the speaker gave us a whole list of jokes that target phonological awareness I wish I knew who that was or if I had that resource, but if I find it, then you can include it in your show notes, show notes. Yeah, totally. Uh, But yeah, so all different areas, you just want to make sure like you're not arbitrarily doing anything like as a speech pathologist, like I think over-preparing is quite silly. So people who come up with new themes every week and people who like spend all of their time, uh, planning it to me I just I couldn't I couldn't uphold that lifestyle but at the same time you have to like maintain your integrity and and do things like with scrutiny so um, I'm not saying uh, on this podcast to just go into a speech therapy session and tell jokes Um, you'll definitely want to make choices that are purposeful that target your child's individual needs yeah and so it sounds like you get some joke books and you're searching around for the right content you're gonna have to look through them and then once you use them with one kid or a couple of kids you're gonna make a note so then the next time you use them it's gonna be a lot easier to plan right for that session and that should always be the goal I mean especially you know for our kids they need repetition and so if you are doing themes I know this isn't about themes I always try to do themes for at least two weeks two to three weeks Mm -hmm. right yeah you got it you if you don't then it's like what did you just do that for that was so much yeah (laughs) and the you know whatever materials you pick you can go you can go big or you can go simple like you can do anything on the spectrum of planning for therapy Especially even with jokes, I'm sure we could take it to a whole big cl- complicated thing if if we have that child that needs that. But then there's a lot of kids where we can just whip these things out of a book. Right. 
Yeah, because so if you're working, if you have two different students and one of them is working on morphology for plural um, or possessive S and another one is working on uh, speech sound production for eliminating their interdental lisp, you can utilize the same jokes for these two clients because they both have that same component, even though the purpose is different for each client. But I still have my list of jokes that contain S in the final position of words. Right. And, 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 and the key is to, you can have the target sounds within the, within the setup or the premise, but what I like the most is to look at that punchline and to ensure that the punchline is purposeful for the goal area, because in order to achieve that laughter component, we'll want to make sure that we execute that punchline correctly. That makes complete sense. Yeah. So I would say just after chatting about like how you're going to look through your jokes, you know, start to tap, you know, start to make notes in your joke book, put post-it notes, like what are, what's working, what's not working. And then, you know, what I always do is I look at a joke. If I like that joke, I look at my groups and I think about, okay, how could I make this work for that group if I can't find the perfect joke for everybody in the group? Or maybe you're going to have one joke for one student, one joke for the other one, and then you're going to try to incorporate as many skills. Right. Like you can assign jokes to each student and then have like an open mic session, um, whereas everyone has their own. So like maybe one person, like I mentioned, is working on um, on S articulation. So you give them the impasta joke, but then maybe somebody else is working on like their visual conception of words. So maybe you want to say like, or, or if they're working on like cliches or understanding figures of speech. So there's jokes like, um, why did the boy eat his homework? Because his teacher told him it was a piece of cake. So Mm. that kid can have that joke. And then, um, you can have a scaffolding. So maybe this kid has like an individual session and a group session. So you're also working on this joke, like over time. (laughs) Um, And you're talking about how like, there's just like cliches in in the English language and a piece of cake is a means of saying something is quite easy, but it's also like essentially something that we consume. So while calling the homework, a piece of cake, he then took that too concretely and, (laughs) and mistake mistook it for food. And you can give that student more jokes that are have like more of those like cognitive components to it, such as like, um, why did the soccer ball leave the team? He was tired of getting kicked around. So that makes sense because like, why would somebody want to get kicked around? But, you know, this character is essentially a ball and that's that's purpose in life. <laughs> that's <a> um, <laughs> but maybe, you know, like not everybody wants to live out their purpose. Like maybe, you know, people want to do their own people and balls want to do their own thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot, I love it. So, and that, those jokes would be great for figurative language Mm -hmm. as well and breaking that down. So I can definitely see what you're talking about, like planning a little bit ahead of time to find the jokes that are going to hit those goals. So this was really awesome, Deb. Um, I, I'm going to, I work with like the little baby, the kindergarten kids, but I'm going to try to see if I can do some knock knock jokes or something with some of them. The boohoo one is really good. Everyone already knows the, um, knock knock who's their banana, banana who. So usually that's a good intro because they're like, I know this one. And then like they get excited and they kind of mess it up, but they can participate. Um, 
but yeah, I would start, I would start there. Yes. I'm going to try it out with the, I have a couple kids <laughs> that I think they might like it. Um, because I don't know, I just have a feeling. So I'm going to try it out with some kids, but thanks for coming on and talking about how to use jokes. I think this time, you know, every there's times in the year too, where I just get tired of doing certain materials and we just need to change things up. And I think jokes are a great way to get everybody enjoying the session a little bit more. So I love all your ideas on this topic. Like I said, if you want to stay in touch with Deb, you can follow her at Deborah Brooks SLP and you can listen to her podcast, SLPs Wine and Cheese. And do you, you, you do that every week, correct? Yeah. I mean, some, most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> we might miss a week here or there for our most, our most avid fans are the only ones who notice, I think. Who would notice. Oh, but. I know. This yeah. year was my goal. I'm going to be on a, I'm going to have an episode every week because I was like all over the place as well. You got to bank them. Yeah. It's, it's life. So um, anything else you want to say, Deborah, before we wrap things up? Um, no, just, uh, enjoy yourself. Um, I think that, you know, intrinsic motivation, you probably heard it a bazillion time. Every time you're taking a conference, it's like intrinsic motivation and with satisfaction <laughs> comes with, from within and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I think, you know, I think it's more effective to work on the clinician's intrinsic motivation. So if you're motivated and you're enjoying yourself, there's nothing more desirable than that. Your energy introduces you before your materials do and your, and your plan does. So um, target your intrinsic motivation, use jokes, have fun, choose jokes that you think are funny, demonstrate the, the desire to share with the person in front of you and, and things will be much smoother. Oh, I love that advice. And I, I agree as well. Like when I'm having fun, usually the kids like it, even if they're kind of like, what is yeah. this at first? So exactly. You're like, we're crocheting today. <laughs> kids are like, I have no idea what that is. But if you love it, they're going to love it. Like it's going to be fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if you're if you've been playing Go Fish for way too many uh, sessions, then get Get the joke book out because I don't know. There's That's only right. so many times I can play Go Fish before I'm re- I'm ready to like throw something at the wall. That's it's Absolutely. a very effective game, but um, for the kids, card games were like my number two favorite thing to do as a traveling speech pathologist. But that's a whole nother. Yeah, podcast. I do. Yeah, I'm not I'm not dissing Go Fish. I'm just saying that yeah. when I choose to play Go Fish, I always seem to then use it all day long, and then by the end of it, I'm like, mm-hmm. I never want to play Go Fish again. Done. Um, So anyways, everyone, just remember to be the SLP that every kid wants to see. Continue to stay inspired. And I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Until next time. Bye.